0: Back home again, in dear old Elmhurst, and it seems that I can see the gleaming front porch lights still burning
1: bright through the seven
0: wards of trees. The backyard skunks send all their fragrance Through the streets I used to roam When I dream about the moonlight on her salt creek How I long for my great big Elmer's
2: home Golly!
3: And now, broadcasting from a two-person hot tub High atop the Butterfield Park water tower It's the E-Town Lowdown Created by Robbie and Rick. And now your handsome hosts, PK and Rick.
1: Welcome to another edition of the E-Town Lowdown. I have my buddies PK and Scotty Malort with me. How are you guys?
0: Great. Great to be here. Very good.
1: We have a guest with us tonight who has joined us before. He was actually one of our first guests. And we had a two-part episode with him back in early 2018. And he also joined us back in March at the beginning of this pandemic, gave us some color on what the city's been up to or was up to early on during the pandemic, and then joined us again in May to tell us about the uh, Memorial Day Convoy through Elmhurst. So uh, our guest today is our esteemed mayor, Mr. Steve Morley. How are you, Steve?
4: I'm doing great, Rich. Uh, Thank you very much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. I did not realize... I had been. I did not realize I had been uh, on here three times already.
1: You have been, yes. So, uh,
4: welcome back, Your Honor. You know it's so nice to be here that uh, I forget that I was here before. At least I lose count. It's, <laughs> it almost seems like it's a memorable experience. Twice. Yeah.
1: So we're not in the hot tub tonight because we're appropriately social distance. So you won't hear any bubbles tonight. But tonight is our 80th episode overall, and our 48th episode that's been COVID related. And you didn't know this was going to be COVID-related, Mr. Mayor. Well, maybe you did, but we're going to ask you a whole bunch of questions about COVID and your, your deep knowledge of the disease. No, just kidding.
0: <laughs> so The science of it all.
1: So the elephant in the room here is that uh, you've announced that you're not going to run for mayor for a third term. So tell us a little bit about your service to the city and what made you decide that this was it.
4: Uh, sure, I'd be happy to um first of all it's been a pleasure uh to uh serve the residents of elmhurst and um if you look at the front porch we send out on a quarterly uh basis you'll see at the very end i sign off every single time i have a letter to the residents and i say that um it has been i I am humbled and it's been it's my honor to serve the residents of elmhurst and i truly mean that i grew up in this town and uh went to school here and uh, raised a family here so um it was just my way of giving back but uh, it's been it's been fourteen years now. I was six years as an alderman and um actually when I ran for alderman, I never intended to run for mayor but um in politics it um it 's kind of a wheel of fortune you never know who 's gonna go where and what opportunities are available and um <clears throat> It just so happens that uh, at the time when I was alderman, the current mayor, Pete DeCiani decided to run for county board. And uh, <clears throat> and that was kind of a, I don't want to say a spur of the moment type thing, but I know that um, Pete hadn't decided to do that when he first ran for mayor. But uh, when he decided to run for county board and got elected, that left an opening. If Pete had run again, I probably wouldn't have run. Um, at the time, I was uh, chairman of DPNZ, which I really enjoyed. Um, we had done a lot of development in Elmhurst and continue to do a lot of development. Um, and uh, when when this, the spot opened up, um, I joked that uh, there's a bunch of aldermen, there's 14 of us, and uh, somebody said, whoever wants to be mayor, take one step forward. And I was the only one dumb enough not to take a step backwards. <laughs> so I was kind of the the lone man left standing, but I, had, uh, I enjoyed the support of... Um, uh, I want to say it was, uh, 10 aldermen out of the 14, uh, that had personally asked me to run. Um, and, uh, you know, that was, that was, uh, that was flattering. And, uh, um, and you know,
1: you're guaranteed 10 <laughs> votes at that point, right?
4: <laughs> uh, well, nine, cause I'm not sure if my wife was going to vote for me when I told her, <laughs> but, uh, it was, um, it, that was, that was flattering. And, uh, I ran, I was successful. I ran against two other aldermen. Um, Mark Mulliner, one of them, he's still on the council and, uh, he does a fantastic job, but, uh, it's been, uh, it'll, when, when I wrap up in May, it'll be 14 years. And, wow. um, that's a long time. Yeah. And it's, uh, uh, it's quite a sacrifice. Uh, not that I don't mind doing it, but it's a real sacrifice for my family. And, uh, they've been very patient, very loving and supportive during this time. In fact, this last time my wife said about six months out. I know you love it and whatever you want to do I'll support you hundred um, percent but uh, I felt it was time we've done a whole lot uh, in the city I've worked with a lot of great people and um, I've got three kids in college now and uh, my wife are kind of entering my wife and I are entering a new chapter so I thought maybe I'd give hundred percent to that instead of maybe the 20 to 25 percent you know that was a good
1: long answer but you could have just told us nancy said no
4: (laughs) well (laughs) you got you guys know that answer wait i gotta ask you
0: something though let me back you up for a second what inspired you to get off the kitchen stool and become an alderman
4: that's a good question um it's a it's kind of a uh i don't want to say morose it's it's a very odd um thing but uh, i always love politics and uh i i'm one who um uh, spins around the dial when it comes to watching national politics. I watch all the different, uh, TV shows on all the different networks and get different perspectives. And, uh, I really like to, um, discuss politics with my friends. My, um, one of my, uh, close friends, he's since moved to, uh, Washington, um, was this endocrinologist at Northwestern. And he was a pretty far left liberal guy. And I leaned a little more conservative, but uh, we always had the best conversations, and I always felt it was quite educational for me. And um, I'm a guy who writes a lot of lists, a lot of goals down. And um, my wife and I kind of uh, ran into this, this crossroads in our life when my youngest son, who is my youngest, or I mean, I'm sorry, my oldest child, which is my son, was in kindergarten. If I, to give you a perspective of how long ago this was, he was in kindergarten. Uh, he's in graduate school right now at the University of Alabama. but um,
1: Roll Tide. Roll
5: Tide.
4: <laughs> roll Tide, baby. Uh, which makes it very, side note, makes it very interesting in my house because my wife went to Notre Dame, uh, my son goes to Alabama, and my one of my daughters goes to Clemson. Wow. So any given weekend, you know, we've got uh, quite a bit of rivalry going on. Anyway, back to the question about why I ran. Um, when my son, who is now 23, was Just getting out of kindergarten, May of his kindergarten year, uh, my wife got diagnosed with cancer and uh, um, she's fine now, but it was a very difficult time in our life and we really reassessed what we wanted and I'll never forget. And I'm pretty sure my wife was bald as a cue ball at the time from her chemo. (laughs) And she said to me, she goes, you should run for alderman. I know it's on one of your lists. She kind of joked about my goal list. Mm -hmm. It's on one of your lists. And sure enough, I pull out this list. And um, it says run for alderman. It doesn't even say become alderman. It says run for alderman. Um, and the way I looked at it is uh, I really, I, I love my hometown. Um, I, was, I loved it enough to raise my three kids there. And uh, I wanted to give back. And uh, I've got a lot of doctors in my family, but I'm, I'm not a doctor. I couldn't, uh, I couldn't give back and volunteer in that sense. I'm not a lawyer, so I couldn't do pro bono stuff, but I'm a businessman. And I figured uh, I like politics, uh, I like business, and the city itself is run like a business. So that's a long-winded way of saying that's why uh, I threw my hat in the ring for alderman, and uh, was uh, I ran twice for alderman, was elected both times, and uh, then on to mayor and elected both times. So
0: once again, you're successful because of your wife?
4: Uh, all because of my wife. Yes. So,
0: Well said. Steve, I'm
5: curious, as your term winds down, I imagine you're starting to reflect a little more on your time as mayor than you probably did before, just because you have time to do that. What do you want residents of Elmhurst to think of when they think of your legacy as mayor?
4: Um, that's a tough question. You know, occasionally I get asked that the longer I'm in politics or longer I'm in office. Um, uh, people ask me to point to certain things that have been done when um, uh, during my term um and i always say to people hey you know what i will i don't want to talk about while i'm while i'm mayor uh but ask me after i'm done and i'll i'll brag a little bit but i will say this um uh it, one of the things that uh happened just so happened um right when i got elected mayor but before i got sworn in and if those of you recall scott levin was uh, interim mayor for about 5 or 6 months um We had a flood. We had a massive rainstorm and a flood. And uh, I always joke. So you get elected the first weekend in April and you get sworn in the first weekend in May or first week in May. Um, And uh, in between that that limbo period, we had a massive rainstorm and a flood. So I always joke that while Scott Levin was mayor, we had a massive flood. Then I became mayor and I had to fix it. So um, we his fault. (laughs) just ask scott he'll tell you um but um we have done uh i want to say at this point um 13 stormwater projects in the city of elmhurst and as you all know living around here uh, we had a real bad stretch um whether it's global warming or hand of god or god knows what it is but we had a real bad stretch of about four or five years where we had these massive uh, rain events and uh, rain events are measured by probability of what they will happen, they, the the potential that they will happen on any given rain season, and uh, there have these events that are called one hundred year events. So it's the chance of it happening is once in a hundred years. That's and we, that
5: one we get every two years, right?
4: <laughs> that's I call them eighteen month events right. now. So um, we just we had that, and I for whatever reason we're getting this rain. Um, we used to have from nineteen eighty. to 2008 so 21 years we were actually in a drought and then we started having these rain events and people were coming up to me saying mayor i haven't flooded in 21 years what have you done (laughs) Uh, there's nothing wrong with the system there's nothing wrong it's it's the rain you know the the keep it simple uh principle we just have too much water and in a uh, very short amount of time um, elmhurst had a reputation for being the town that floods and uh, I was very fortunate. We, not only do we have a great staff, but we have good elected officials. Uh, Jim Kennedy, a personal friend of mine I've known since fifth grade, uh, is an engineer. He ran for alderman, won, and he has been chairman of um, the Public Works Department ever since I've been mayor. And uh, he's been a big part of it, along with staff. But we put in 13 stormwater uh, projects to mitigate flooding uh, over, I want to say it's over 141 acre feet of storage that didn't exist seven years ago an acre foot is about 340,000 gallons so take 340,000 gallons times 141 that's how much capacity we've added to the system in about seven years so it allows me to say um, we're the town that used to flood and now we're considered the town that solved flooding Uh, now nothing's ever perfect and there's more and in fact you can go to a one of our public works committee meetings and we open every meeting with Jim Kennedy as chairman talking about the next stormwater projects we're doing. We have two more lined up, one just finishing and two more after that lined up. But that's something I'll point to that when we really dug into it, um, we recognize we pulled out old studies. We have had studies since the mid 50s that Elmer's floods, quite frankly, because it's flat um, and we did something about it. And that's something I can be proud of. And it really protects. People's biggest investment in their life which is their home their home and their home values and um it's really uh i think it's something that when i look back on i can point to or maybe someday drive my grandkids around and point to all the stuff that we did
0: so if you helped elmhurst uh to keep from flooding i think your legacy will will be that you're the best damn mayor
4: i'll let uh i'll let other people sort that out Uh, i've known a couple of mayors they're pretty darn good
0: no there's been a lot of great mayors but we'll just call you the best damn mayor i'll take it try
1: and give us the best and the worst part of your experience as a public servant of course we'll cut out the best and just play the worst but give us your take on that if you would
4: um best and worst okay so the best is that uh it's kind of a, a conglomerate of experiences i've had but i've had experiences that i wouldn't have if i weren't mayor
0: is that the air force one <clears throat>
4: uh air force one <laughs> um air force two a marine two whatever uh no i've had the I, i've had uh you know for some reason when when people come into town and we're a great town Elmer's is a great town and it attracts certain people whether it's uh, stuff at the college or stuff like that and um events at the college we get to we people come into our town and when they come into town for some reason they want to meet the mayor so um i got to make a, a personal uh, relationship I, I form a friendship with the former governor bruce rauner hmm. um nice guy really nice guy um uh, a sweet man who got chewed up by illinois politics and um i think had enough but he really tried his best and he was so much fun to be with um i um through friends at the bank uh there was a, a luncheon and i got to meet jimmy john the guy who owns jimmy john sandwiches yeah. yeah right and that guy is just bursting with energy he's uh he's so charismatic he tells the best stories makes a great sandwich makes a great sandwich but he really he has a great delivery um and i was fortunate to sit right next to the man and have a have lunch with him we had jimmy john's of course uh and uh, have a good conversation and um uh, Dick Portillo hung out with him a little bit a fun guy um, so really it's the exposure I get that I normally wouldn't get like even if it's uh, an event they stick me up on stage uh, God knows what I'm doing there but whatever the VIP who, whoever comes in they introduce me and I get to have a personal conversation and that's really um, something kind of special and what I get to do is tell them about Elmhurst which is you know it comes naturally it's not, that's not difficult um, Danica Patrick I got to hang out with her for a little bit and mm. I got to tell you, I was at a, a breakfast with Danica Patrick, and they sat me right next to her. Racy, and I was the most popular guy in Elmhurst at that breakfast, and people just kept coming up. Hey, mayor, I wanted to say hi, and then they'd kind of pause and look at me and kind of give me the head nod. Oh, uh, hi, Joe. Would you like to meet Danica? <laughs> and after about a half hour, Danica goes, "Wow, you're you're really popular." And I'm like, <laughs> "No," I said, man. "I I I don't I don't think it's me." With all due respect, she was great arm candy. She was. Uh, so that was enjoyable and she was a nice person. Or you were,
0: you were great arm candy. Uh,
4: yeah, yeah, I think that's what it yeah. was. Um, and I, I kind of at one point I turned on and I joked her and I said, well, you know how fame is. And she had this look of horror on her face for a split second, <laughs> like, who is this Rube? And what is he? There's, there's no way he can understand what I'm going through. And I kind of looked at her and she got it. She realized I was kidding and she started laughing. But for a split second, she's like, this idiot?
5: <laughs> Real quick, I want to add to that. I met Danica that morning as well at the hospital at that breakfast, and I felt really bad for her because <laughs> there were—I would too—twelve. Yeah, really, there were twelve people waiting for her to leave the ladies' room.
1: <laughs> By the way, she doesn't remember you. More. No,
5: it's... no. I heard she speaks well of me, Rick. I, that's what she I heard. did.
4: She actually. She said, "Did you?" When when she sat down next to me, she asked me if I if I met Scott. Yeah,
1: <laughs> Scotty Mallard's infamous. But wait,
4: Piston you sh- love you love politics. So so, what's next?
0: No
1: wait, Whoa, whoa, whoa! T- wait, wait. You we're, jump gonna, the we're shark. gonna remember. We're gonna like <laughs> totally delete all the good stuff. We're still waiting to hear. Um. What's the worst part of the job? Uh, great. Good
0: point. Great.
5: It's a simple answer, Steve. It's the Elmhurst Armpit Orchestra.
0: The worst part?
4: They're one of the best parts. Oh. Um, I will say that if I had to pinpoint um and I don't want to get too per- I don't want to mention any names, I guess. Yeah, go ahead. But if I had to uh if I had to pinpoint the worst part is Jim um, Grabowski. <laughs> Jim's a great guy. i <laughs> um, not sure how you're going to edit this to make it that sound was, like. That
0: was uh, Scotty Lamort. Yeah, no. LaMorte. Uh,
4: Jim and I have a Lamort. love-hate relationship. So, um, no, I, I tell you what. Uh, if you're in politics, you have to have thick skin. And um, we have a public forum. Uh, and sometimes also our fellow aldermen or fellow elected officials can get a little chippy up on the dais. And uh, you kind of got to gird your loins for it. You got to gear up and you, you kind of got to get ready for the game, if you will. Um and, uh, uh, you know, sometimes it's difficult. Um, actually it's second nature for me now to ignore certain things when people are, are overly critical. Like we were talking just before this, how, uh, somebody sent me an email and said I should be in jail and I'm a horrible person. And all yeah, I'm sorry about that, by the way, <laughs> <laughs> it was, it was, uh, an anonymous uh, email, but uh, now I know who it is. BK. <laughs> but, um, so I, I will tell you the, Probably the most difficult time I had as an elected official, and I don't think I was mayor yet at the time, but um, a friend of mine um, had a son that passed away, and I—and it just so happened that the, um, the, the wake for this young man who passed away was on a Monday, and I had to go to the wake. I shouldn't say I had to go. Of course I was going to go. I went to the wake. And, uh, you know, talk to the family. And it was just a horrible situation. And I had to go right from that wake for a young man. I think he was 21, 22 at the time, maybe 23, right to a city council meeting. And um, there was some pretty nasty stuff said during public comment. And some of the aldermen were fighting. And I got to tell you, it, just was, it was probably the only time I was at a city council meeting where I wasn't up for it. I just... Kind of struck me that there was bigger things in life, and, and people were arguing about some petty stuff, and um, that was probably my low point. It was just very difficult. I, I felt for the parents uh, who were both still alive um, of this young man who had passed away. The the family, he had a sister, and it was just uh, it was a really low point. And then to add on to it, we have good meetings and bad meetings at city council, and we happen to just roll right into a bad meeting. And, um, it was, it was a, it was a tough perspective that night, but really, I, you know, that was more of a personal issue than a political thing. So, um, not a lot of bad things to say. The nice thing about local politics is that, um, you have a local impact and you can see what the, the, what you do and what impact that you have. So if there's a nice building that goes up or, you know, you're rehabilitating a certain part of town, you see it versus if, uh, I've got a lot of friends who are in Springfield and on the County board and, they make decisions, but they really don't get to see the impact at a local level. So uh, ultimately, it's it's been a great experience.
1: Okay, PK. Sorry. Go for it. No, that's great. And,
0: and the, the fact that you love politics just makes me wonder, what's next?
3: Cool.
4: Governor. <laughs> uh, you know, it's very interesting. Um, uh, one of the things that uh, is, I shouldn't say unique, one of the things that happens as mayor, uh, and one of my friends on the school board described it this way, is that the city and the city council are like the big brother, and then the 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 park district and the school district are kind of like the little brother, and they can poke at you all day long. But if you swing back, mom gets upset or people gets upset. <laughs> um, but uh, that, that's the that's that's around town. Um, I've been approached to um, actually I've been approached during my political career, if you will, to run for county board, uh, forest preserve, state rep, and state senator, and um, for a while there, I thought that might be interesting, but I got to tell you, the more I am, uh, the more I'm in politics and the more I'm, I'm very familiar with Springfield. I go down there probably three, four times a year, um, whether it's to testify before a committee or just lobby for Elmer's interest. Um, oh,
1: I thought maybe for the pool at Jumer's <laughs> Hotel.
4: I uh, usually go to the Lincoln, the Abe, okay. <laughs> um, hang out at the Globe or maybe the Celtic Mist while I'm down there um and that's a tough that's that's a tough life down there i, I um, nancy's
1: listening so be careful
4: yeah well she knows um i i tell you what before i was mayor i thought i wanted to go to springfield and uh i've had a good run as mayor i've done a i've we've done a lot of hard work as mayor so i can point to some stuff and um the partisan stuff in illinois and in springfield is so difficult that um i don't think i want a part of it so mr uh, morley goes to washington <laughs> so i uh i think i'm going to take a break from politics for a little while and uh we'll see what happens i like i said i've been approached by some folks and usually every time the election rolls around people ask some questions but right now the best thing i could say is i'm going to take a break uh from the political side um work on uh i own a couple of businesses i want to work on and then um you know my wife and i are empty nesters we've got kids although in this covid world we got they kind of come and go more frequently than we would like but um we're going to concentrate on that a little bit, being a dad and a, and a husband.
1: So when you write that letter to your successor and put it in the Resolute desk, <laughs> is there any chance you might put in a little plug for the lowdown, getting a key to the water tower again, as you've been generous with the access to the tower?
4: Uh, I'll make sure. In fact, uh, it might be um, um, an easement that uh, I make sure is non-transferable. Um, so we'll try to make that permanent. Um, maybe we could expand the uh, hot tub a little bit, make it a little bigger. Um, Two
1: person works really well for some guests; others not so much. Rich. Well,
4: I'm thinking if you had a COVID-friendly hot tub, maybe like a T or a cross or something, where people could be at opposite corners. Rich,
0: Scotty's been handing out duplicate keys for weeks, months.
1: Yeah, but the next, the next uh, emperor may not. They may change the locks. Gotcha. So uh, one last question regarding your your mayorship, and that is, do you plan at some point before the election to endorse a candidate? Barack. Might that happen?
4: You know, um, I've got um, right now. Actually, we don't know who's running. Technically, Uh, filing doesn't happen until December. And then the paperwork has to be certified. Uh, So technically, we won't know who's. We won't know who is uh, running and, and officially running and certified. I mean, this is December. When does that happen? Uh, the 20, It's like three weeks in. So uh, filing happens in about a week, week and a half. There's a, there's a one-week period. There's actually an eight-day period where you can file. And then after you file and after filing closes, there is a one-week period where people can challenge if there's something wrong with the candidate's filing. And we've actually had filings that were filed incorrectly or have the incorrect information on it. And a lot of times, uh, sorry to say, that even people with the best intentions get kicked off the ballot. Um, it re- really it, it really hits home. Um, so, so it's like a Christmas present. Uh, maybe for some <laughs> if their opponent gets kicked off the ballot. Um, but, no, to answer your question, uh, Rich, I'm kind of a peaceful transition of power kind of guy. Um, I don't plan on endorsing anybody coming up. I think it's probably the right thing to do. Um, and, uh, we've got, um, two good candidates that I know of that are running, um, um, Scott Levin and Mark Mulliner, uh, Mark's been an alderman for 22 years. And I think Scott's been an alderman for, I want to say 10 years. Uh, both have good experience. I've worked, uh, well, quite successfully with both of them. So, um, I wish them both the best. I've talked to both of them about how I'm going to stay out of it. Um, and I think that, uh, I trust the process and I think Elmhurst will be in good hands.
1: The E Town Lowdown encourages you to like Explore Elmhurst on Facebook, a great resource so you too can be in the know when it comes to Elmhurst. Elmhurst, close to everything, unlike
3: anything. I bet my money on a Bob the staff and management of the E Town Lowdown would like to assure our more sensitive listeners that our food critic Sal is really half Italian. His mother is from Poland and his father is from the great country of Italy. We hope you will enjoy and not be offended. Hey, how you doing?
5: your sail here for the E-Town Lowdown to tell you about a new place to eat in E-Town. It's up on North York Road, kind of up by the fire station. It's called Lariano's Pizza and Beef. Now, truthfully, I was kind of torn about going here, you know what I mean? You know what I'm saying? They serve this Detroit-style pizza. And anyone who knows Sal knows I'm a Chicago guy with my pizza. But I was conflicted. Because the roots of Lariano's goes back to the mutter country. You know, Italy. South Side too. South side of Roma, that is. The town of Lariano's is about 20 miles south of Rome. So I got to give them props for authenticity. You know what I mean? So I figured I'd give it a try. My buddy, Danny Rico Suave, came with me. He grew up in Detroit, so I figured he could tell me if their square-shaped pizzas are legit or not. Turns out, the Detroit-style deep dish is really good. It's rock solid. You can get a slice, too, if you're too scared to try out the whole pizza for the first time. The pizza even has a slightly burnt crust to it. It's bellissimo. The beefs are also rock solid. Jardin too, the whole nine yards. It's pretty obvious that Larry, the owner, is true to the Italian way. And he knows how to make his food the authentic way. They got good apps and salads and burgers too. But for me, it's the deep dish and the beefs you want to get at Lariano's. Good stuff all around. My buddy Rico Suave says it reminded him of the pizza he used to get at Bricktown. Whatever that means. I just know good pizza when I taste it. Trust old Sal on that one. So in summary, give Lariano's a chance. Good solid pizza and sandwiches at a fair price. All authentic. This is Slappy Sal for the E-Town Lowdown, reminding you of what famous Italian film director Federico Fellini once said, life is a combination of magic and pasta.
0: Hey friends, this is former Elmhurst City Manager Tom Borchert. Hey, and whenever I'm back at Elmhurst, I look up at that Butterfield Park water tower and I am so thankful I wasn't the one who gave him the keys
1: to get up there. So changing gears to uh, the, uh, the real elephant in the room, not the first elephant in the room, covid so can you kind of give us a little bit of color on how it first hit home with you and and maybe how the hospital, the health department, the city might have worked together?
4: Absolutely. In fact, that can point to one specific event. Um, boy, I tell you what, I think it was March, early March. And uh, if you recall, I mean, geez, I can't believe we're still in the same year, quite frankly. Yeah. We're still in 2020. Yeah. But there was talk about this virus over in China somewhere in January and it's coming and we're like, yeah, it's coming and whatever. And then the, the talk kind of ramped up in February. And then the uh, the federal politicians started talking about it about late February. And we're, we're hearing, if you recall the reports, there's been three cases in, in Utah. There's one case in Florida, one case in Florida. And uh, I mean, that nobody I want to say no one took it serious. But you're kind of like one case in Florida. What does that have to do here in Illinois? Well, it started getting closer and closer and closer. And um, we're trying to figure out what to do. And finally, um, Jim Grabowski, city manager Grabowski, and I sat down. We're like, hey, we got to figure. We got to have a plan because someone's going to walk in that door and say, you have someone who has COVID in your building and we better be able to have a plan. So city manager called a meeting with it's like uh, New York with the heads of the five family. Families. We called um, Park District, School District, Hospital. Um, Gaudis, The, the Gaudies, <laughs> uh Elmer's College. Myself. Um, and there was two or three representatives from each group there. And we, we got in a big conference room. None of us wearing face masks. Everyone shaking hands, you know. And um, we start the meeting. We were like literally... I think I had my mouth open to say thank you for coming, or we're going to get started, and right before the words can come out of my mouth, uh, Pam Le- Pam, Dun- Pam Dunley says, "Excuse me, Mayor. Uh, if you don't mind, I'd like to say something." <laughs> City Manager Grabowski and I just kind of look at her. I'm like, "Hey, uh, you know, it's our meeting, but we didn't say anything." And she says, "We've got our first COVID patient at oh, the hospital." Oh. And you could have heard a pin drop. I mean, yeah. everybody I just got the chills. everybody's jaw was on the ground. We were like, both city manager and I kind of took a step back from, you know, we're like, okay, Pam, you're meeting. Let us know what we're doing. Yeah. And, um, I mean, the hospital probably was most prepared. Uh, and uh, really, we took a lead early on from them about taking this serious. And they've done a wonderful job. They've, they've done such a fantastic job. Sometimes when you're faced with such difficult uh, such a difficult situation. A lot of times you keep your, your thought process and your decisions internal. Um, because you, yeah, I don't want to say you're too busy, but you, you just, you, you, you concentrate on yourself. And I would say early on, almost from day one, the hospital not only has communicated what they were facing, um, but what you could do. And they, they issue a report with data every day, right? Number of patients, Patients on a ventilator, patients who've checked out, number of days in a hospital. I mean, there's probably thirty or forty data points, and they send it to me every day, and it's invaluable. Who ordered the pot roast. Who ordered the pot roast? Who ordered the fish? Um, I believe they communicate those details to the to anybody that wants to hear through a podcast as well. And I've heard that. Yes. So not only do they do that, um, but and I will tell you this: um, the higher up you get. In terms of the data and how it's being published, whether it's DuPage County Health or IDPH, the Illinois Department of Health, the less I trust the numbers. So it is so valuable to me as mayor to get the numbers directly from a source that I trust. And um, it really I mean, you can you can look at the curves on the charts and see what direction, how we're trending and we make decisions accordingly. And uh, so that would be uh, to your question. That's really when it hit home. Right then, when Pam like took control of that meeting and said, "Oh, by the way, it's here," and um, it's it's been, kind of been a roller coaster ever so, since. And then
0: you had to figure out how to keep the city operating. Where I'm sure there are people. I mean, you everybody was trying to figure out what to do. Do people work at in, in the office? Do they work out at a home? How did that all work out?
4: Well, yeah, that's a good point. Much like the hospital. Um, we can't close. The city can't close, uh, and um, we knew we couldn't early on. We 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 made the decision.
0: I've often thought you were essential.
4: Well, I, I know that um, it's not going
1: to get you the shot any earlier.
4: You're one of a you're <laughs> one of a few who think I'm essential. But uh, we um, we never closed the city. Uh, we closed City Hall at one point, and we're doing stuff uh, remotely and uh, virtually. Um, we came up with shifts for our workers. Uh, we had to scramble. Because not everybody had, uh, you know, computer or technology set up in their house. But we still needed to run the city. So um, we evolved. We got better at it. Um, We started almost immediately um, sanitizing City Hall on a daily basis, uh, making sure that people felt safe. I mean, early on, the amount of information we didn't know was very scary. Um, You know, I remember the first, quote, scare we had at City Hall. We had an employee whose mother was exposed and that employee had been in touch with um, her mother and you know you kind of how far out do you play the game so <laughs> um, it, we've just uh, we, we we've worked very hard um, we've done a lot of stuff like a lot of businesses in town we've done stuff we never uh, had to do we've learned a lot we've become more efficient and um, knock on one, we've had uh, very few cases at city hall in fact the cases we do have We've had um, people who work at City Hall actually haven't gotten it at City Hall. They've gotten it through other exposure. So um, it's been a challenge, but uh, I, I'm, I think uh, staff has done a fantastic job meeting that challenge.
5: Mr. Mayor, can you talk a little bit about COVID's impact financially on the city? Sales tax, things like that? Yeah, that's a good budget.
4: Qu- yes, I can. That's a good question. Um, the long and the short of it is we projected about a $9 million shortfall in revenue um in fact early on probably march or april um we went to city staff and said you need to figure out how we're gonna there's gonna this black hole we're gonna we're gonna fall into in
0: perspective
4: total budget um our total budget um not including one million (laughs) (laughs) dollars well you know what it's it's i'll break it down a little bit because we have capital projects and then we have operating yeah um and i would say that um of our operating budget Um, nine million dollars is probably 15 percent maybe 20 percent okay um and the problem is is that uh you know that's a hole that just keeps getting bigger if you if you lose nine million this year you come to the next year you're nine million in the hole and then you might lose another nine million so um we went to staff and uh we've got um i'm sure people know but we've got four committees that the aldermen make up not only do we uh have city council meetings but then Every other week, we break into individual committees, and that's really put a burden on the, um, all departments, quite frankly, to come up with ways to save money. But the finance department was really the one who knew the numbers and had to come up with stuff. So um, we trimmed what we could out of the budget. Uh, one of the big things, the rubber band, as we call it, in our budget, is our streets and paving. And normally we spend, I'm going to say, on a, on, a, on a short year or a slow year, we might spend 3 or $4 million on paving. And in a high year, we'll spend $7 million on paving. The city of Elmhurst has about 100 miles of road. And our roads last about 20 years. So if you do the math, we have to replace about 5 miles a year to keep up with our infrastructure. Um, but in lean years, you shrink the amount of money you spend on that. So we actually ended up canceling our our street replacement budget for the year, which is about, I'm going to say three and a half, four million a half, $4 million. We increased our, our patching. So some of the streets just need patching. Uh, we increased our patching because, you know, we want our streets to be safe and, and not to fall apart completely. But uh, we removed a big chunk of what we do. Um, not to mention uh city manager put a hiring freeze on. Um, we have approximately 20 dark positions in our budget. Dark means they're not eliminated. They're just, we're just not hiring right now. Um, so, um, we've tightened our belt quite a bit. Um, you know, we saw a rebound in our sales tax, our sales tax revenue. We saw a rebound in the summer when, uh, we were very fortunate. We were able to create, uh, an atmosphere for our restaurants to host more people outside. And some of the restaurants did quite well for a, for what I'll call a short amount of time. And um, we saw a rebound in our taxes and our revenue through through August, but then when the weather turned and uh, our governor tightened up the um, restrictions even more, that re- we've seen that revenue fall off again. So um, we're certainly not out of the woods. Um, we had what I'll call a uh, we just finished uh, our tax levy on our budget. We had pretty much a fl- what I'll call a flat tax levy. We had an increase for pensions, so we kind of we kind of break the buckets out. Oh, no,
1: that doesn't count, right? <laughs>
4: It counts, but it's necessary. It's one of those <laughs> things. It's one of those things where um, we made a commitment to everybody who works at Elmhurst, whether it's um, um, you know uh, the folks in the forestry department or police and fire. We have pensions. We've made a commitment when they uh, joined the city, and we're honoring that commitment. But um, uh, everything else remained flat, um, and um, we're doing the we're doing the best we can. I will say this: that when I first got on council as an alderman. In 2007, we were we were in rough shape. Um, we were losing money, and our reserves were being drained. And uh, over the past 12, 13 years, a friend of mine, Kevin York, was uh, chairman of the finance department for uh, 10, 12 years. Um, we built our reserves back up for a rainy day is the best way I can say it. And uh, we might be the best town, if not one of the top 10 towns in the state of Illinois in terms of our preparedness for a a financial disaster. So the good news is that um, we had a lot of money in the bank. So we're able to not cut services uh, to the residents of Elmhurst. Um, We had to dig into our bank account a little bit, but we didn't go negative. And um, we're making plans for the future to do some structural changes so that we can deliver the same amount of services to the residents but uh, still maintain our costs.
1: Was the revenue shortage primarily sales tax? I'm assuming, or were there other taxes or fees in there that were a big chunk of that nine million?
4: Oh, the biggest by far, the biggest um, amount uh, was sales tax. Loss of loss of sales tax. Um, there is some um, building has slowed down clearly because uh, the market has been. Um, Uh, so uneven in terms of uh, whether or not you could build, whether or not you could have people together, that kind of stuff. And people put, because um, personal revenue is down, personal income is down, people have put some uh, building on hold. So our permits and fees are down. But uh, interestingly enough, um, you know, with everybody moving home to work and not going downtown Chicago, Um, our housing market had actually picked up a little bit. There's actually a a little higher uh, demand um, for certain areas of Illinois. I'm happy to say that Elmhurst is one of them. So uh, our housing market has picked up during this. It's kind of – I'll call it a silver lining. Our housing market has picked up during these difficult times.
1: Are there any fees that you've waived or considered waiving?
4: Yes. Um, You know, there's – there's. I think, uh, especially on the local level, a lot of people get involved in politics, and the first thing they say without knowing what they're walking into is, you know, government's wasteful, and I'm going to cut everything, and I'm going to save a lot of money. And what's interesting is when you get down to a local level, there's no room to hide. Our budget's online. Our meetings are in public. You can, you know, leave your house and be in one of our meetings in five minutes. And you'll see that um, there's not a lot of fat in our budget. If we're going to remove something from our budget, we're going to remove a service um, to the residents of Elmhurst. It's not like, you know, you're paying $10,000 for a hammer or 20,000 for a toilet. So there's not a lot there. If you're going to cut, um, what you end up doing is you actually remove services from the residents. So, um, we do look at what I've tried to do during this difficult time is our businesses. We have a, a great relationship with our businesses. In fact, Elmhurst itself has become If you've been around here for the last 20 years, you've noticed we've kind of morphed into uh, a destination, kind of an entertainment destination. We've got unique restaurants um, and retail has has changed. You know, I I give speeches and I hold up my cell phone and I say 20 years ago, this didn't exist. uh, But now you can order anything you want on your cell phone. You, you, You know, retail has been taken out of the storefront and whether it's Amazon or just online in general, Um, The amount of retail sales and taxes we used to get locally um, has gone away. It's reduced by over 50 percent. So that's something new that we've had to work with. So we've done what we can to bring other businesses into town and for them to be successful. We've created density. We call it transit oriented oriented development. Um, So some of the some of the larger apartment buildings or condos you see in town not only increase tax revenue, But they generate traffic for that hometown business that you want to stay in place. Um, But these businesses are facing stuff they've never dealt with before, whether it's restaurants or retail. So we've done um, what we can to make it easy for them. We don't have a blank check like the federal government. We can't just write them checks and give them money. But what we can do is we can suspend the collection of business licenses. So, you know, something as simple as, Uh, If you have a claw machine, that's supposed to cost you $150 a year, I believe, for um, a license, just so we inspect it once a year or whatever. Well, we waive that fee.
0: You mean that thing I put all my quarters in to get the little fuzzy animal?
4: I'm not sure I've ever seen you actually get one, but I've seen you with a beer kind of holding up the side of the machine, pumping quarters into it. But, yeah. um, That's the one. That's the one. And uh, there's other business license fees and um, liquor licenses. Uh, You know, it's very hard to justify the fees that you, we charge as a city are supposed to be roughly equivalent to what it costs us to do our job. So if, some, if we're going to go out and inspect a building, you try to extrapolate the amount of hours you put into it and what it takes to actually inspect the job, and you you bill accordingly. Well, it's very difficult to bill a restaurant for a liquor license if they've been closed for three months because yeah. you know they haven't been doing anything. So we did that early on. We suspended some um, business license stuff. We actually... Um, uh, issued credits for folks with uh, liquor licenses. And then uh, just recently in this r- most recent close down um, restriction, whatever you want to call it from the governor, um, I issued an executive order. That's something that the council gave me. It's kind of a, um, a what I call a heady situation. The council gave me executive authority, which allows me to um, write law with the stroke of a pen. It's really kind of daunting. Um, but one of the things I did during the last shutdown when it came down, because the governor kind of gave us a little bit of warning. He said on a Monday, Hey, I might shut you guys down. And he was pointing to us, which is region eight. And by Wednesday, he closed this down. So we had just issued from the city, a whole round of billing to our businesses for various fees. So Wednesday, he closed this down Thursday. I issued an executive order saying, we're not going to collect what we just sent you. At the very least, we've got businesses, who are trying to figure out how to stay open. The last thing they needed was a bill showing up on their desk the same day that this the governor shut them down. So I issued a, a, an executive order suspending the collection and then uh, kind of threw it to council and said, we need to figure out how to either not charge these folks or charge them what's fair. But uh, not every fee we're used to charging is fair for these businesses right now.
0: Do you have a sense uh, you know, about how the residents of the community are doing financially
4: um i do i get a little bit of it um i think the residents of Elmhurst probably most residents of Elmhurst might have a little bigger a bigger nest egg than some folks um i will say this though um you know we had what i'll call we had that first shutdown march april may um governor issued a shutdown and i think at the time he said it's going to be two or three weeks and it ended up being three months And I know that a lot of people, not only businesses, but families had that nest egg. And they kind of chewed through it the first time we got shut down. Then we opened up in the summer and everything was good and things kind of got back to normal, uh, as normal as can be. And then we have this second shutdown now or this second wave, whatever you want to call it. And that's really tough on a lot of people. I'm seeing more businesses shut down. Like I said, all these businesses, everybody who had... We were having a pretty good economy up until that point. So all these businesses could handle one shutdown. But um, I'm reluctant to name names uh, as mayor because I don't want to draw attention to it. But I've seen more businesses shut down. I know personally of more um, friends of mine in town that have lost their jobs. This second wave is kind of having more of a silent impact than I think people realize. It It was more notable... The first time it was unique. It was notable. Now it's the new norm. And the new norm is people are losing their jobs and businesses are shutting down.
0: And I got to
4: say, there's an emotional or mental health impact that seems to be more prevalent. That's one thing that I will say that it doesn't get um, a lot of um, attention or press or exposure. It's one thing that um, the hospital, Elmhurst Hospital, uh, Edward Elmhurst and Elmhurst Memorial have said almost from the beginning. They started beating that drum in March that there is going to be big impacts uh, from the mental health side. And uh, we see it with adults. But now uh, this new norm, like uh, the kids, it was fun for the kids when school closed down the last month and a half, two months. Great. You know, they kind of, the weather was nice. Um, they kind of got to go out in the play and, uh, you know, the school districts in the city uh, and, and all of the the state hadn't figured out how to do stuff remotely. So the kids got a little bit of a pass. They got an extended summer um but i'm hearing more and more on a daily basis from parents that okay now my kid's been home eight months yeah and uh, you know the the school districts are trying to catch up and figure out the best way to teach these kids and keep them engaged but you can only do so much you know facing a computer so yeah the um and they
0: they miss their friends if they i mean some of them are seeing them but some aren't and then just the
4: interaction with a variety of friends. It's you know? it's a generation that's being impacted. We're all adults. And I think that we can put things well, in. Well, let's not get carried away. <laughs> well, we're all old enough to be adults. Um, but uh, I think the kids are being impacted in a way that we can't comprehend yeah, just yet. Yeah. You know, it's bad enough, in my opinion. You know, I sound like an old fogey. It's bad enough that we have what my kids call screenagers, where you're kind of stuck in, in front of your, your, your uh, phone screen all day. Uh, to add this level of separation it's just having an even greater impact and i, I feel for those parents who have i mean I, i've got friends who's got who've got three kids who used to go to school who are now home 24 7 and the parents have to figure out how to keep a parent at home and keep all three kids uh running uh on their collective technology so that they can quote be in school and it's just not normal and the, the kids are having a tough time yeah
1: Malort, you're the only one of us that has uh, kids still in the school district.
5: I do have two in the school district. I have a screen myself, and, uh, yeah, it's not easy. It's, it's definitely uh, a different day and age, and I think it's going to be quite some time before we figure out the impact of what this is actually doing to these
0: Figure to out these what schools. you did right and wrong. Right, yeah. <laughs> no.
5: uh, Steve, I do want to uh, offer to you that if the city is a little bit light on finances this year, Rick and PK would be willing to put a third mortgage on the hot tub just to help the city out because they're team players. We I are, think
4: that could keep the lights on for
5: solid 15 minutes.
4: I was going to say, you know, about a, about an hour. Yeah, maybe. And that it, that goes without saying that the, the city gets their, you know, our electricity for the lights for free. So <laughs> we we get
0: a reduced rate on our mortgage through a connection.
4: You know somebody? You yeah. got, a guy? We got a guy?
0: We
1: got a guy. The uh, city has a couple of great employees in Aaron Jason and Cassandra Schreff that have been uh, keeping the residents informed via social media, the website, Explore Elmhurst, and uh, provided a lot of great resources for residents and businesses alike. Can you can you speak to some of the efforts the city's made on Absol-
4: Absolutely. And you mentioned two fantastic employees, and it's it's been my pleasure to work with them. Erin um, has, I don't want to say, grown up within the city, but she's held a lot of different roles, and she got her, uh, she went to Elmer's College, and now she's uh, the heart of our development team. She works with Mike Cop, and um, if, I mean, it's amazing. If I ever have any question about any business in town, I pick up the phone and I call Erin, and she says, oh, that's so-and-so. She works on Tuesdays from so to so, and she does X, Y, and Z. I mean, Erin, I can't tell you how much Erin knows about the businesses of Elmhurst. She's such a resource. Uh, One of the challenging things that is going on in this COVID world is that the governor will issue um, an executive order. And normally when you legislate, things go through Springfield and they take six, eight months to figure out. You go over every possible scenario. So the law that gets spit out can be applied locally. Well, if you don't have that amount of work put into Susan Rose, uh, former mayor and uh, my mentor when I was um, first got on city council as an alderman, she used to say rushed policy is bad policy and she couldn't be more right. So when the governor, for all the right reasons, but when he issues law with executive order without input from and and discussion, which he can't due to the timing, um, he says, "Okay, this has to happen. And then what he does is he basically throws it down at our level and says, make my intent work in your town. And when stuff like that happens, um, Erin is the one, she's literally on the phone, her and her team are on the phone calling every single business in Elmhurst. They call every single restaurant when something impacts them. And, um, And she's a resource. So the restaurants and the retail establishments in town will call her when the governor issues an executive order. What does this mean to me? How can I be, how can I still be, um, uh, how can I stay open but meet the mandate that the governor just gave me? And, um, you know, she's also a conduit with the governor's staff um, to figure out how we can implement this stuff and how we can communicate to our businesses they they can stay open and stay open safely. Cassandra is uh, our entire PR department. And the most unfortunate thing um, for her specific job as it relates to uh, PR is she has so much work to do that in our 2019 budget we approved her getting a full-time employee to work with her that's how much that's how much work she has and as soon as COVID hit she actually was in the final round of interview to hire somebody and we put that on hold so Cassandra I'm still waiting to hear back from her So Cassandra, Cassandra has had to do the job of two people now, almost since she's been hired to the point where, I mean, it takes a lot to convince the city council to spend more money, but she does so much work. We actually said, yeah, you're doing so much work. You actually need another person. And we told her she could have it and she was planning to do it. And then we yanked that away from her at the very end because of budget reasons. Um, But she has gone above and beyond. Uh, She's so good at communication. Um, She it's her job to take all of the communication in the state of Illinois and figure out how to post it on our city website so the residents know where to go to get that information. On top of that, she works with me. I've done videos to try to reassure the residents of Elmhurst, you know, things have changed, but things are still operating the best they can. Um, I deal with both Aaron and Cassandra on a weekly basis, and they're just fantastic.
1: I uh, have noticed on social media, an Elmhurst loves local contest. Can you tell us about that? Are you familiar with that?
4: I am familiar, really. Um, we've had two or three different campaigns as it relates to um, how to keep things local. And what it really is, is we're trying to raise awareness of, um, how can I put this, um, Well, Elmhurst businesses are people, too, is the best way I can put it. And uh, the best thing we can do during these difficult times is try to keep our businesses open and try to patronize our businesses. Um, So uh, I'm trying to remember. Cassandra came up with with another campaign just recently. It's um, what is it? Uh, Stay safe. Stay local. She's going to kill me for not remembering this. Um, Plan. Create a plan. Stay local. Keep calm. Keep Uh, calm. Eat at Silverado. (laughs) I apologize. Um it's it's been a unique Remember the slogan? <laughs> that was the fourth part that that didn't make it onto the uh didn't make it onto the uh, website, but um in general, let me let me generalize a little bit. Um it's been very challenging, but it's important as we go throughout our daily lives. There's a lot of us who have who my wife, for example, has a fantastic job um and she was able to transition. She used to work in the office four days a week and work at home one day a week. And uh, so that means that the technology and the infrastructure of working at home was already in place. So when things got crazy, they just flipped a switch and now my wife works at home. Unfortunately, that means she hangs out more with me, but she's able to manage. Unfortunately for her. Uh, Exactly. Unfortunately for her. Um, But that's not the case for a lot of our local folks. So um, people who have local retail or local restaurants or any local service, um, it's so important that we don't forget those folks. Um, That's why um, I've had some challenges with the governor when he issues his orders. Um, I tell I've, I've, I've sent him several letters, but the gist of my letters are, look, tell these people what they have to do to stay open. Don't tell them to close. Figure out anything I mean these small business people um, I'm one of them myself entrepreneurs are the most creative people on earth in my opinion and they will figure out a way to make it work as long as you give them a path no matter how absurd the path is give them the ability to do it don't just say you can't do it say you can do it if you do X y and z and I guarantee not only will our local business owners figure out how to do it they'll do it in a creative way and they'll do it in a way that they can still, generate revenue and stay open but you can't just snap your fingers and close them and say you know what i'll get back to you in three months and then you can open up and everything will be fine it doesn't work that
0: way so how do those letters work out you getting any feedback
4: (laughs) um i did i've got a little bit of feedback um one of the first or second letter i can't remember what i wrote the governor uh, what specific thing uh, which specific letter it was but he and he's look i i'll say this about the governor i'm glad i'm not in his shoes Because there's no right answer.
5: Because those shoes would be too big?
4: (laughs) So uh, what I will say is he's got a challenging job. Now, sometimes I disagree with what he does in the the way I approach it. And he's new. He's new to politics. I've got more experience in politics than he has. Um, uh, But he's got to figure out how to work with folks. So I had sent him something when he closed down restaurants the first time. And I had said, hey, look, um, what I just said a couple minutes ago. Uh, entrepreneurs are the most creative people uh, in the business world, and they'll figure out a way to get it done if you just give them the opportunity to give it done. And two or three days later, he came up and uh, he made a speech and he said, oh, he's changing things a little bit as it relates to restaurants. And he said, you know, entrepreneurs are the most creative people I've ever met and they'll figure out a way to make it done and uh, or make it work. And I thought, wow, he seems to have read one of my letters. And uh, the best part about it is about three days later, he changed things just a little bit in one of his directives that allowed businesses to stay open so um i'm not sure he's a big fan of mine i can be a little bit of a thorn in his side but i think it's the appropriate thing to do to uh, help the businesses in Elmhurst. before
1: we take a quick break and then we'll come back for a shorter segment <laughs> really <Not> for your <laughs> listeners for uh, you for you listeners we were getting ready to take a break but pk skipped like the you know, tomorrow.
4: But let me just say this. Uh, hey, and I'm, I, I'm t- spontaneous. I it's take the, it from Tom Marcucci. You gave a politician a microphone. So things well, are we're pro-
1: happy. Trust me. We, things are probably going to go longer than you want. It's no, a big, micro- that's a big microphone to fill. What one last COVID related question. And that is how tough is it to really get business done at a remote meeting?
4: Um, there's, uh, there's, there's good and bad. There's a silver lining to it, which is um, sometimes people will speak less because the technology <laughs> is such a challenge. Um, but uh, at the beginning of every meeting, and I know uh, PK probably watches every meeting that we have, I actually have when He we, doesn't even
1: read our notes. <laughs> Are you kidding me? Hey,
4: that's been clear uh, from the beginning of this interview. Um, but, well, well, here's what I know. If you do a Zoom meeting, you have a
0: 40-minute limit unless you pay the premium. And nobody's going to pay the
1: premium. I think the city
0: paid the we premium. Have a,
4: we have a $140 million budget. Somewhere in there is the premium that's been paid.
1: <laughs> oh, wasting our good money again.
4: Um, if you limited every meeting to 40 minutes, we wouldn't have this expense. I couldn't agree more, and it couldn't be more illegal. Um, <laughs> so it's, it's a challenge. Um, and, uh, there's certain things that we have to do to meet the open meetings act. The open meetings act is an Illinois state law that says, if you're going to spend taxpayer money and you're going to make decisions with the taxpayer money, you better do it in public. And that's what we do. Um, but it's not without its, um, technological, technological challenges. So at the beginning of every meeting, not only do I read a statement, uh, kind of a legal statement, you know, your mileage may vary that kind of stuff. But it talks about how, hey, we're remote and we're doing the best we can. But if we're going to be remote at the beginning of every meeting, I have to make sure that everybody on that Zoom call can hear us and can hear other people. So you'll hear us go through this tedious kind of roll call. Can you hear me? Yes. You know, that kind of thing. And then I've got to figure out on this tiny little camera, on this tiny little screen in front of me, who's raising their hand, who's not raising their hand. A lot of times as uh, as uh, mayor, I'm chairman of the meeting. I have to run the meeting. And I take visual cues from people as I'm watching this meeting happen, who I'm going to call on next, um, Who's who um, Who doesn't want to talk, who does want to talk.
1: Big man and a little camera.
0: <laughs> oh, we know how it goes with the big podcast we're doing here right now.
4: It's all about organization. Uh, and sometimes it falls apart. I know you guys know that. So, um, Never seen it. It happens. It's uh, it's not without its challenges. We get the work done. Um, it's all recorded. You can go on Elmhurst TV, <laughs> on uh, YouTube. And uh, can't and, wait to watch. Uh, watch us fall apart uh, live and in person.
1: Let's take a quick break and get some words of wisdom from our good friend, Dr. Farchi. Amen. Hello, Pete Kruger here from the Elmhurst Independent
5: newspaper. When I want a good
4: laugh, I listen to E-Town Lowdown. Even though Rick, Robbie, and PK podcast from a hot tub, they're three
6: cool dudes. How are you? And welcome to another edition of Fridays with Farchi, where we believe it's always Friday somewhere. I am your host, Spencer Alexander Lagerfeld, the pride of the Upper East Side, and all of Manhattan, really. As always, I am joined by Dr. Anthony Farchi, Senior Yeast and Microbiology Fellow at Ronald's Institut de la Fromage in Luxembourg. Today, Dr. Farchi and his team have some important new COVID research to share with us. Welcome to Fridays with Farchi, Dr. Farchi. Yeah, thank you. I understand you have conducted some new experiments and made some further conclusions regarding mask effectiveness in preventing the spread of the novel coronavirus. Please enlighten us on your important European research, Dr. Farchi.
3: European research? I haven't been to Europe since my bubby's fourth husband died in an unfortunate bagel slicing accident.
6: But you are a senior fellow at Ronal's Institut de la Fromage in Luxembourg, are you not?
3: I'm the bacteria guy here at Ron's Cheese House in Luxembourg, Wisconsin. You know, just down the road from the BP next to Don's Bakery. Oh, the delicious chocolate raisin babka. Mmm.
6: Well, in that case, please share your recent research from Ron's Cheese House.
3: This isn't research conducted at Ron's Cheese House. It was a very controlled environment at Augie's Bar and Grill.
6: Controlled environment?
3: Yeah, no bears fans. That's the law at Augie's.
6: Are you referring to the Augustus Bistro in Auckland? Because there are no bears native to New Zealand that I'm aware
3: of. Absolutely not. I'm talking about Augie's.
6: It's in Luxembourg, just uh, 20 miles north of Denmark. Ah, yes, Sweden, just a ferry ride north of Copenhagen.
3: This has absolutely nothing to do with chewing tobacco, I can assure you, so leave your Copenhagen in the tin. And for the record, Denmark is just down the Interstate 43 from De pier. But most importantly, my crack team's most recent research confirms our previous findings. Masks are completely ineffective in stopping coronavirus
6: particles. You are still studying the effects of undergarments on coronavirus particles? No,
3: this is even better.
6: (sighs) You're going to have to explain again. Are you a pointer or a squatter? I beg your pardon, sir? Do you sit
3: or stand when draining the spotted cow trough?
6: I stand in gentlemanly fashion, but what does any of this have to do with mask effectiveness? Oy
3: vey, I'm getting there. Asparagus or beets? What? Your favorite accompaniment to a medium rare ribeye. What do you order at the supper club, asparagus or beets? Uh, asparagus, I guess. So tell me, you had two of Mrs. Diamond's brandy old fashions at the bar before dinner. It's hard to only have two, you know. You washed down about three quarters of that delicious ribeye with a couple spotted cows. You got some of that, you know, bloat going on. You know, you gotta make room for, like, your next cold one, right? So you excuse yourself and schlep over to the little boy's room. Of course, you've left your table so you pull that old mask up to satisfy the germ police.
6: This conversation is making me very uncomfortable. I truly hope none of the other members of the esteemed Metropolitan Club hear this interview. Cripes, come on, stay with me. Sorry, doctor. Uh, onwards and upwards.
3: So you're standing there at the porcelain altar, mask and all, and boom, there it is. You almost forgot. Yes, you bet, you had some of the best prime beef Kewanee County has to offer. But you also had some of that delicious asparagus fried in Lambeau Leap Lard. Can you smell
6: it? Smell what exactly? Asparagus? Well, I never... Come on, can you smell it? This is science. Can you smell Uh, it? Yes, 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 I admit it. I can smell it, well, most of the time. But I don't understand where you're going with this.
3: Look, my crack team has figured out that nobody who's had the asparagus at Augie's has ever gotten sick with the COVID. However, 100% of the guys who had the asparagus also converted the aspergustic acid to stinky sulfur-containing chemicals that made those urinals reek. So following standard scientific research methodologies, of course, if you eat asparagus, then you will flush the virus and its odor right out of your body and into the toity. Well, and Mrs. D's old fashions are key also,
6: kind of a catalyst of sorts. It's science, plain and simple. So, are you telling me with 100% certainty that if my urine has an asparagus odor, it's really the COVID exiting my body through my digestive tract?
3: Now you're catching on, Skippy. And that mask did nothing to stop those little asparagus infested urine particles from entering your respiratory system tomato, tomato, corona particle, asparagus corpuscle. It's all the same. It's science. I'm as certain of that as I am
6: that Aaron Rodgers will be canonized. And I'm over 85% Jewish. Dr. Farchi, with the election over, are you worried that Biden and Harris will no longer fund your research? I don't know who this Biden fella is. And neither
3: does he, by the way. But I have no worries with Harris. Mark Harris is a good man. He did a bang-up job as the mayor of uh, Oshkosh over there, you know, by the lake. I used to see him at services when he went to Bethel Synagogue in Sheboygan. Good man, Mark Harris. Good man.
6: This has been Spencer Alexander Lagerfeld with another confusing and extremely troubling edition of Fridays with Fauci, or uh, Farci with our guest, Dr. Anthony Fartshe. Thank you, I think, Dr. Farci. The opinions heard in this program are not to be construed as the opinions of the lowdown or its personalities. This installment has been brought to you by the good folks at Lynn Dickey's Quarterback Academies with locations in both Bellevue, Swamico, and of course the headquarters location on Oneida street in Titletown. Thank you. And good night.
5: Hi, this is Pamela Dunley as president and CEO of Elmhurst hospital. I know that sometimes laughter can be the best medicine when I need a good laugh. I tune into the E-Town Lowdown and you should too. Give it a try.
1: Okay, we're back here on the lowdown. Again, not in the two-person hot tub again with our good buddy and guest, Mayor Steve Morley. So, uh, Mayor Morley, we uh, finished talking about some COVID-related issues. Uh, Let's back up a little to this summer. And our whole country had a little bit of social unrest going on, and we had a little bit of that hit home. So... um, First of all, let's start with how you saw the folks that wanted to protest and what you were worried about early on, because we've all seen that the organizers of these protests intend them to be peaceful, but many times they turn violent. So tell us about your fears, your planning, how that all went down.
4: Uh, Happy to do so. So, um Yeah, we had some interesting situations this summer and, um, uh, you know, certainly the right for peaceful protest is um, in the uh, Bill of Rights, I believe. So it it was really something, it was a bit of a summer of unrest. Um, I'm very fortunate to be a member of a group called DuPage Mayors and Managers. It's a uh, council of government that is exactly what it sounds like. Uh, Folks in DuPage County, both mayors and managers get together. I think there's Thirty eight municipalities in the state in uh, the county of DuPage, wholly or partially in the county of DuPage. And of those 38 municipalities, 35 are in DuPage mayors and managers. So during this covid world, during this weird covid uh, time, um, we kind of came together as a conduit to share information Um, and smack dab in the middle of covid. We had what I'll call this social unrest or whatever you want to call it. And we were dealing with stuff that we hadn't normally dealt with. It's not certainly not something that we deal with on a regular basis. Um, but uh, freedom of speech is one of the things that certainly makes this country great. So what we didn't want to do is restrict freedom of speech. But we have to, um, the bigger concern is safety. So, and what's interesting is, as it related to this specific um, um, social movement, as I'll call it, was that uh, my kids, my young kids, my kids who are in college were home for the summer and they wanted to participate in part of this stuff. And what I said to them is I have no problem. They were kind of getting on me about um, uh, what they felt was limitations of these of these speeches or these protests. And I said, look, you don't understand. I have nothing against what people have to say. It's their right to say it. I embrace it. I encourage it. Um, For me, safety is number one for the residents of Elmhurst. And uh, I bring up DuPage Mayors and Managers because we used to have phone calls twice a week, Zoom calls with 35 mayors and managers and what we're dealing with. And it just so happens that. Did they have the same kids in their family? (laughs) They did not have the same kids, but they had similar. I was going to say, not the same. Not the same same kids. Same but similar. Um, But uh, we actually happened to have. It's a relevant question. um, For some. So we had a uh, uh, Tuesday morning. We had a Tuesday morning call. And Naperville had had a what I'll call a protest the night before on a Monday. And um, what started out as a peaceful protest turned into something more than that. And uh, fires were started and bricks were thrown through windows and stuff like that. And it was really horrible. and, And it was really kind of raw, as I'll say. I had a conference call with Steve Cherico, the mayor of Naperville, the day after that happened. And he did everything that he possibly could in his power to protect his town, and it still wasn't good enough. Uh, things happened, and um, he was heartbroken. And it was, and all of us as mayors felt for him in that time and what he experienced, and it was just miserable. But um, he was gracious enough after that horrible experience to get on the phone the next morning on a Zoom call and explain to us his experience, what happened, what we could do to potentially mitigate uh, the violence, not the voices. We didn't want to silence the voices, but we wanted to make it as safe as possible for the residents of Elmhurst. So there's certain steps that we took to protect our our town and the residents of our town. And one of the things that was so difficult is that um, we had just been talking about COVID. The, the COVID restrictions were just being lifted. So after three months, we were finally allowing... Uh, the, the, the government was finally allowing some of our restaurants and our retail locations to open back up. And right around that time, three, four days into opening up, we were kind of forced to close our downtown again. So it was, uh, it was, it was, it was heartbreaking. Um, we, we had limited conversation with some of the protesters. Um, uh, they would, they would ask us for certain things and, and we would tell them, you know, here's the best way we think that you can, you can have your peaceful protest. Um, And and they wanted certain areas in town or they wanted to march. Um, And uh, it was it was kind of a a strange time. But um, we took a lot of learnings from Philip. I'm I'm sorry. We took a lot of learnings from Naperville and uh, we didn't have any violence in our town, but we came very close. Um, We ended up um, and, and this was this this became pretty regular. Because there would be a march in Elmhurst or an event in Elmhurst, and then there would be an event in West Chicago, and then there would be an event in Downers Grove, and what would happen is we would get together twice a week and we would talk about what was coming, the mayors and the managers, and then we would lend our police department. Members of our police department would be available for the Downers Grove March, or members of our police department would be available for the West Chicago March, or when Elmhurst had certain organized marches or organized protests, we in turn would get people from North Lake or Bensonville or Villa Park, just uh, different uh, members of their police department to help us out. And 100%, the goal was safety. It was never to restrict people's ability to march, people's ability to speak. Um, What was interesting is during the time is that I got quite a few emails from certain residents who said, why are you allowing this to happen? And the fact of the matter is, is this is public property. This is property that is, uh, you know, for example, the park district, uh, our parks around town, or even the streets in Elmer's. This is part of what the residents and the um, the people of Elmer's pay for. And if they want to have a peaceful protest, it's their right to do so. So um, it was um, a unique experience sitting in what I'll call the executive chair of uh the mayor's office and watch this stuff go down. Um, It was very sophisticated in terms of um, how it was planned. Um, uh, The response was planned. Our police department, in my opinion, is second to none. Um, And uh, we're very fortunate. We had probably over the course of the summer, I'm going to say six or seven individual marches or protests. Sometimes they got a little bit heated, but uh, probably the thing I'm most proud of is that uh, there were no injuries, so we were able to keep people safe. We were able to not only keep people safe, but protect their uh, First Amendment rights, Um, and uh, it's something that we hadn't seen before. It was was very interesting. So
1: far, if Malort wants to have his crew from Blue Island up here for a picnic of 100 in one of the parks, he needs a permit, right? So were there permits that needed to be secured for these marches protests to happen? Or do they get a pass?
4: Uh, Malort's a different subject altogether. I mean, he's—I think there's certain things that he can and can't do legally. Um, I won't get into that, but uh, he no,
0: fe- he has federal restrictions. I, I just I, hey, I just, have to be, I just have to
4: be about. I just have
5: to be a hundred feet from a school. <laughs> <laughs> I
4: wasn't going to go there, but uh, that's his—that's his call. No, they they are they they are not permits needed. Technically, there's not permits needed. Let's let's put it this way: if you want to form a protest and you want to follow all of the. Um, uh, rules and ordinances of traffic safety, you can do it. So if you want to have a protest and you want to walk up and down a sidewalk, you can do so. The fact of the matter is, is that a lot of times the folks who plan these get togethers, um, they started with the best intentions, but they're not really prepared for crowd control. So let's say you've got some young folks and, and a lot of these were young folks, folks from college, young kids, um, you have an idea and you want to have a protest and you're going to have signs and what have you, and you you it is your intent as an organizer to follow all of the laws in that local town. But you can do that when there's 20 people on a sidewalk. But when you plan something on social media and you say, hey, I'm going to do this and meet at this corner on this location, and instead of 20, you get 250, well, the fact of the matter is, is those people are going to spill onto the streets and... You're going to be facing certain things that you weren't planning originally. Um, I was in the um, EOC, Emergency Operations Center, when one of the protests was happening. And we went from 20 people to 200 people in less than 15 minutes. And it's there's nothing wrong with that. It's not like people don't have the right to do that. But there are certain things that happen when you have 200 people versus 20 people. And again, the number one goal of all of the first responders and folks who are out there is safety. You want to keep these people safe. I said to my daughters who were interested in, in, in being part of this movement was, no offense, I'm, I'm not interested in the protest that you're having at the moment. I'm happy to have that conversation with you. But in the moment, my one hundred percent goal as the mayor of the city of Elmhurst is safety.
0: Yeah,
4: keep I, the people safe. I want to make sure people are safe. I'm happy to have this conversation all day long. But in the moment, my biggest issue is safety. Safety, and um, I, I tell you, the the, um, the the Elmhurst Police Department and the um, all of the surrounding communities who donated uh, police and fire protection um, really helped us out. And I'm uh, like I said um it's something that we hadn't faced before it was very unique and we had a lot of people in the wings if you will there's a uh, there's a dupage county SWAT team they don't call it SWAT but there's a a group of folks and um they were kind of available for everybody in dupage county and um while they were in the wings they they were never needed um and uh, i i i think not only did our police department do a fantastic job but the organizers who had the best intentions at heart um did all the right things. They got their message out, in my opinion, um, and uh, things didn't get violent, and that's really what we were hoping for.
1: Are there any um, things you learned from Naperville that you can discuss that maybe you you employed or the police department employed?
4: Um, we learned a lot from Naperville, and uh, that's those are learnings that we applied probably more than once. Um, it's not really something that, uh, I'm at liberty to discuss, uh, but, um, we approach things in a certain manner that, uh, still maintain people's rights as literally as American citizens, but allowed us to keep them safe. So
5: can you imagine how bad the things in Naperville would have been if the rest of the protesters could have found a place to park? (laughs)
4: <laughs> well, parking is a problem for any municipality. This is so, true. I've I, heard I, this before. I I, I I recognize the challenge. Do they do have uh, cars?
1: Wait, do the protesters have cars?
4: Wait, not in Elmhurst. We now have plenty of parking garages. You can't have enough parking.
1: Is there anything you do differently as a city and not just you personally?
4: Um, Besides stop being the mayor. <laughs> Ask me in I night. mean, related
1: to the protest that you might do differently um, next time
4: no I, I, I you know what's interesting is f- by luck and by happenstance we happen to be um, one day behind certain protests so we got a lot of we we, we we have a lot of learning I will tell you this as as nervous as I was um about these protests and again it's not about the idea or the or the reason for the protest it was about keeping people safe the last thing I wanted to be was the mayor of a town that was on the front page of whatever, newspaper because somebody got hurt, my sole purpose. And I I had that conversation with my kids more than once. Um, I was so impressed with our police department and their preparedness and um, their education. And I'm telling you, they were so coordinated. Um, It was, I, I wish I could get into all of the detail of what went into keeping Elmhurst safe but I will tell you this: the Elmhurst Police Department, um, they earn their dollars. They they are so oh. good, and um, they Actually, really they 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 knocked it out of the park. I can't I, say it enough.
0: I gotta say something specific. So I I saw a video of the police taking a lot of abuse from some bad protesters. There were a lot of good protesters, but there were some bad ones, and they were beating up the police verbally, and the police just took it and let the process take place. and
1: i think it's important to say that most of those people had nothing to do with the core protest they no, were just i agree yeah. they're
4: taking yeah. advantage of yeah. the situation they're,
0: they're
5: what
1: i like
0: to
5: be to call imported protesters they're, they were not omers people well,
4: well, what's well, interesting about um i, I i'll take uh, an incident that i'm aware of that uh, pk mentioned um is that uh, there were some folks who um were maybe a little abusive a little rambunctious if you will And uh, they're the folks you see on the video pointing the finger at the police and the police have to stand there and kind of take it. What's interesting is what the police did in that situation is they actually protected that individual. Yeah. Because there was two individuals who had been maybe over-served who were very abusive to police and there was a group of Elmhurst residents who invited those two people to go around the corner and have a conversation. (laughs) And uh, I got to tell you, what was very interesting is, is that the Elmhurst Police Department had to say to those folks, actually, we're here for you right now. You might not realize it, but we're here to protect you because there was a lot of Elmhurst residents who really wanted to protect their town and, yeah. quite frankly, support our police department. So it was a very weird situation. Yeah. Yeah. I thought our police department handled it uh, in a fantastic manner. And uh, like I said, I, 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 I'm so impressed with what they did. Um, and uh, that, was so- a,
0: that was the kind of thing that could explode. And it did not.
4: And what's interesting is there was two or three individual events that happened in one specific, uh, I'll call it a protest or a march or whatever you want to call it, one specific event that happened where our police department um, handled a situation, stopped it from getting out of control, and had those individual situations run into each other in these events, it would have been been explosive. Yeah. And um, a lot of people don't know what could have happened. And I'm in the enviable or unenviable position of knowing how close we were to bad things happening, and they didn't. And right. I'm indebted uh, to the Elmer's Police Department for their professionalism and for um, keeping her safe.
2: Amen. Hi, this is Jack Island of the Silverado Grill. My definition of a great evening is yoga, Maryland crab cakes, and Eat Down Lowdown with Robbie, Rick, and PK. Well... Yogurt and crab cakes. And now, here's Rick with another edition of Standing on My Heavily Reinforced Soapbox. Lately, I've been hearing a whole lot about this instant pot craze. People
1: say it gets the job done a lot quicker than the regular pot. They use all these code words to throw us off. They use terms like baked and fried. So those of us that overhear them think they're talking about making dinner or something. But I'm on to them. They can't fool old Rick. I'm guessing you listeners are onto them as well. Now, I have never taken any illegal drugs, and I don't know anything about them. I'm not familiar with that whole culture. But, friends, they are talking about cannabis, marijuana, weed, ganja, grass, Rick. tea, Rick. 420. Rick. R- Rick. Robbie, Robbie Rick. I'm not wait, finished. You've got to let me finish. <laughs> so, I'm in line at the supermarket last week. And there are two ladies in front of me, and I hear them talking about how great this Instant Pot is. One lady is actually telling the other lady about how much faster the Instant Pot works and how it helps her relax. She's going on and on about it. She tells the other lady how hungry she gets with this Instant Pot. These ladies are exchanging suggestions about what to add. Onion, herb, you get the picture, in the grocery store. Do people have no shame? For the love of Bob Marley, this stuff is illegal. They are in line at the Elmhurst Mariano's, not the Denver Doobie Dispensary. Come on. Yo, Rick,
2: Rick, wait. Hang
1: on. Robbie, 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 I'm not finished yet. Just let me finish. But that's not the real story. These ladies at the grocery store aren't the only ones I've heard talking about this instant pot. Lowdown listeners, I want you to listen very carefully. This past weekend, I couldn't believe my ears. Who, of all people, is absolutely obsessed with... With this instant pot, you'll never guess. None other than our own Mayor Morley. Or, as I now refer to him, Spliffy Steve. He can't stop recommending this instant pot to everybody he encounters. He gets this little glimmer in his eyes. And, well, actually, I think it's more of a glassy-eyed look when he talks about his beloved pot. When will this end? Even our elected officials are addicted. you got to stop. Robbie, Robbie, just let me finish. I'm almost finished, Robbie. People of Elmhurst, we must put a stop to this now. You need to write your Elmhurst elected officials and demand they put an end to this nefarious practice immediately. No matter who you decide to write, copy Alderman Kevin York. I've never met a pot smoker who wears tight bicycle shorts. Drop what you are doing. Write that letter now. As always, I stand tall on my heavily reinforced soapbox to protect the good people of Elmhurst from the evil that lurks within. Good
2: day. Are you finished, Rick? Yes. The instant pots everyone is talking about are crock pots. Crock pots have traditionally been slow cookers, but the new instant pots cook the food much quicker. They use heat and pressure to cook the food evenly, but in much less time than a traditional crock pot. Mayor Morley uses his instant pot several times each week to prepare delicious and nutritious meals for his family. So he's not getting high in
1: the hot tub with Alderman Kennedy? No. It's just a crock pot? Yes. Oh, well, never mind then.
4: This is Mary Beth Harper, director of the Elmhurst Public Library, and you're listening to the E-Town Lowdown with your hosts, Robbie and Rick. But PK is the one with all the talent. I
1: want to move on to uh, what's going on in the state and how it relates uh, to us locally. Starting with, you know, the governor announced his five- phase plan sometime earlier in the year Uh, phase one was called rapid spread phase two was called flattening phase three titled recovery phase four which we're technically in right now is revitalization phase five illinois restored and i'm not sure what we want to be restored to hopefully not exactly what we were before the pandemic but That's uh, neither here nor there. So back to where we are now, phase four revitalization. And the governor didn't technically move us back to phase three or phase two. He's got these restrictions and at least three tiers. Maybe there'll be a fourth tier here. God knows. Um, So how do you feel about calling the phase we're in right now revitalization when he's got the restaurants locked down as it relates to indoor dining?
4: so the governor's in this position where he created this five phase situation and how we're going to go through it. And as we get more information, uh, and more data as it relates to what we're facing, he's kind of, I'm not sure what you called it. He's, he's kind of created these different levels within the phases. So he, we might be in phase four revitalization, but we're really in phase three, you know, as far as I'm concerned, the way we're, the way things are um, being executed. Um, so he's forced to, in a somewhat odd way, stick to the plan that he created back in May and June. And then he kind of makes these little tweaks um, as we move through the situation or as we move through the pandemic. So I, I, I don't want to say I've thrown the f- five phases out of the out, of, out the window. Um, phase five is we all have vaccinations and we're heading off and it's a bright future. And that's where <laughs> we all want to be. Um, I think that's fantastic um phase three and four are getting very muddled right now because almost on a daily basis the governor is coming up with different tweaks and uh alterations to phase three and phase four um what it boils down to right now is that we're basically locked down um there's certain retail that's allowed to stay open um uh it's um i i said it earlier i don't envy the position the governor's in um but uh, I think that as we get better, and I'm, I'm very fortunate that I have a conduit with our, our local um, health system, with uh, Edward Elmhurst and El- uh, Elmhurst Memorial, uh, I get an understanding of how they're handling things and how we're better fighting this disease. I mean, literally, I know that you had, uh, um, was it Lou or Pam you had on just in the last couple of weeks?
0: Pam, uh, Pam, Pam. Pam,
4: Pam Dunley, Dunley
1: uh, grants us an interview nearly weekly.
4: So Pam's fantastic. And Pam has uh, was able to in one of your most recent uh, podcasts around Thanksgiving, talk about how we've actually reduced the amount of time people are in the hospital, which I think is fantastic. And it shows that we have better tools on how to deal with things. Um, So we're kind of dealing with the governor's plan that was created in March, April, May. But we have better tools to fight this pandemic here in November, December. So you kind of kind of cram things into a, a uh, plan that was created in May. Um, so I, I kind of almost take what the governor says and I listen to what he says versus apply it to the plan that he's talking about. Um, I think that uh, the good news, if there's, a, if there's a light at the end of the tunnel, is that um, there's a vaccine that's actually going to be delivered. What, what are we in? Word? Via
1: needle. Yeah. <laughs>
4: I don't. I don't think it's via needle. Um, maybe it is. Syringe. Syringe. Oh, Syringe. Yeah. oh yeah. Oh, fantastic. Um, Syringe. But, needle. But uh, these vaccines are coming this week. Yeah. We're actually getting. Yeah. They're uh, in the
0: UK right
4: now. Uh, the UK is actually doing them right now. Right. I was on a uh page. Mayor. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, I was on Mrs. Keenan. I, I was on a uh, on a
1: Royal Navy <laughs>
4: podcast. <laughs> you guys are killing me. Um, I, was on a, job. I was on a. I was on a DuPage... A department health call uh, on Monday morning and um, our vaccines are coming. Uh, these vaccines have to be handled in a little different way Yeah, because By uh, the ice cream truck. <laughs> well, interesting. You would say that PK. Um, yeah. They, good, they, good humor. man. They, they, they need a certain level yeah. of refrigeration, but uh, they're coming. Uh, uh, our region for whatever reason is getting the vaccines. They're coming to Loyola in Maywood. Right. Um, and then they're being dispersed from there. Uh but they're coming. They're two phase. You have to get it and then one vaccine is you get it after you get a second dose after four weeks. No. You get it one you get your second dose after fourteen days, and then another vaccine you get your second dose after twenty one days. It's not a
1: doctor, but he plays one on TV. Wait two two fortnights. How many scores is that?
4: Four. Four? I believe.
1: (laughs) That's eighty years. Four score. So you've appeared on uh local tv and local radio several times do they uh, kind of give you an idea of what they're going to ask you before you go on those shows
4: unlike us well i trust you folks when i a lot of times what happens is whether i have a city council meeting or whether it's uh, i have um, an individual letter that i've written to the governor or sometimes as uh, my role as vice president of dupage mayors and managers sometimes we'll issue some press releases then i'll be contacted by the local media um they give me a little bit of an idea of what they want to talk about um sometimes they try to play a little bit of a gotcha game and uh, i have to try to react on the fly um the challenging thing in some of this some of these situations is that um some of it's live whether it's tv or whether it's radio some of it's live some of it's not
1: some of it's memorex
4: some of it might be Memorex, but, um, no, uh, I would say that they try to give me an idea of what they want to talk about, but they won't tell me the questions that they want to say. Um, and my goal when I get interviewed by the media is to disseminate, uh, the information that I'm trying to get out to the residents of Elmhurst. And, um, I do the best I can. Um, I don't think I've had um, a situation where they've given me a gotcha that I couldn't answer, but, um, Uh, Each individual reporter is different, so I handle it the way it comes. So I am curious, Steve. What do you make of what I call the
5: kind of rogue actions of suburban mayors as it relates to what the governor's trying to do? How do you deal with that? Because I I think the tendency is to want to lump suburban mayors together, and and I don't know that that's fair,
4: right? Um, You know what's interesting is, as a member of DuPage Mayors and Managers, and there's 35 of us, there are certain things that we can get behind. So there's something called the uh, Local Government Distributive Fund, where uh, that's money that the state collects as taxes, but we want to receive back as municipalities. Um, that's something that we all get behind, and we think that, you know, that's money we deserve, and we need to make sure that Springfield protects that money and gives that money back to the municipalities. But when it comes to COVID, um, we have a whole bunch of different mayors and a whole bunch of different interpretations of what's happening and how that happens. So we don't necessarily have a consensus with 35 mayors. Um, So we are very respectful of our individual towns and the fact that we represent individual towns. And um, certain mayors feel some way, certain mayors feel another way. Um, and what we try not to do is um, get, in, get in the way of other folks and what they're doing, um, but be supportive as possible. I know that there's certain ways that I approach this pandemic and um, how I work with staff to deal with the pandemic and the governor's orders on a local level, but that's going to be different if I were the mayor of Downers Grove, or if I were the mayor of Glen Ellen. Is, is the health department getting involved in this? Are they visiting local establishments and such? The health department is a big part of it. So the governor's, the most um, recent restriction, a lot of the governor's executive authority extends through the health department. So um, people will, I, I have certain residents and certain folks in the city of Elmhurst who will uh, complain or approach the city and say, Mayor, you should be shutting down this restaurant or this restaurant's not following the rules um, that the governor has laid down. And the fact of the matter is, is that the governor's authority is extended through the health department. So um, the police department actually doesn't have the authority to go in and close down restaurants if they're doing something that violates the most recent governor's executive order. Um, the du- DuPage Department of Health has the ability. They can come in and they can write letters or issue citations if there's certain restaurants that aren't following uh, the government, the governor's directive. But the police department in the city of Elmers doesn't actually have the, technically have the authority to do it. So what we do is we try to what I call diffuse and disseminate. So if we have a challenge or a, a situation at a, Local restaurant. Um, the first thing we do is I expect the police department in the city of Elmhurst to defuse the situation. So if there is a, a, a heated situation where um, there might be somebody who has an issue with a restaurant, let's say a restaurant chooses to defy the governor's orders and stay open. If there is a resident who is creating an issue on site, I expect the the expectation is that the police department will defuse the situation. And then disseminate, we take, we actually have printouts of what the governor's order is and we hand that out to everybody and we say, hey, this is the expectation from the governor of what you're supposed to do as a restaurant. You can have carry out, but you can't have uh, in-house dining. So that's how we're handling it at this point. Um, We don't, and certainly I don't want to see an Elmhurst police officer go into a restaurant and put the cuffs on somebody. That's just not who we are. Yeah. We're not going to do that. It's awkward. It, it's, yeah, it's just, right. we're, we're not going to do that. Um, but what we are going to do is um, do the best we can to make sure that everybody involved in the situation is aware of what the expectations are and uh, everyone's uh, maintaining uh, safety.
1: So Elmhurst has a publication called The Front Porch. Do they have that in Blue Island, Malert?
4: Well, it's the back porch. Right.
1: <laughs> exactly. And I, I think The front porch includes a restaurant guide from time to time. And the 2021 restaurant guide just came out. So my question to you is, have you seen the restaurant guide? That's question one. And two, how many of those restaurants won't be there in the 2022 guide? That's an unfair question. It's a loaded question. That's
4: That's, that's a little challenging question. It's hard-hitting
1: journalism from Rick.
4: Uh, I've seen the restaurant guide uh, as far as it relates to who's not going to be there in 2021. Um, My answer would be, I hope all of them will be there.
1: But are you worried some won't?
4: Absolutely. I mean, we're in um, uncharted territory and it's very difficult for um, the restaurants that uh, we have in town. And uh, I, I wish nothing but success for all of them. I know that they're facing challenging times and I'm doing everything I can to support them.
1: So you mentioned that the vaccine's right around the corner, and it will be in our community soon. Hopefully a bunch of healthcare workers will be the first to get those vaccinations. And if you read the media account of the priorities of who will get the vaccinations first, one of the, the parties that's listed in there are employees of essential businesses. So my question to you, you all right there, PK? <laughs> Sorry.
0: I uh, I, I tried to go off mic.
1: Is there any chance of a mayoral proclamation that would deem the, you know, amateur podcasters essential businesses?
4: Um, I have sent a letter to the governor regarding podcasts and uh, essential podcasts. I have not received a response.
1: Okay, thank you. How
0: many letters have you sent to the governor where you have not received a response? Just that one. (laughs) No.
4: No, I I don't think so. Well, um, not clu- not including, every every letter. Not including that one letter that I just mentioned. Uh, I think I've sent um, four letters to the governor. And um, how many responses? I have heard from the governor's staff that he has received all of the letters that I have written. That does not qualify as a response. Have you ever zero? Sent,
1: have you ever sent letters to Santa Claus and then <laughs> the follow up is how many responses did you get?
0: <clears throat> not sure how to answer that question. <laughs>
1: The hap-happiest time of the year. So 2021, the budget. Uh, If I'm not mistaken, you probably have been addressing that at council recently, maybe very recently. Tell us a little bit about how in the heck you project 2021 with all the uncertainty of the pandemic.
4: Well, we just finished our budget conversations. Um, We are on a calendar year. And uh, we just actually last evening, we approved the 2021 budget. Um, We're hopeful is the best thing I can say that our revenues will rebound. We had what I will call a status quo budget. Um, Biggest challenge that we have as it relates to budget is if we're going to make some serious changes, um, they have to be structural changes, which means that we have to figure out a way to approach and deliver services to the residents of Elmhurst that they expect. Um, And if we're going to reduce costs, we either have to figure out a way to deliver the same services for less money, or we actually have to reduce those services. Um, The challenge as it relates to the current budget that we just reviewed, that's for 2021, is that we developed the budget almost eight months out of the year. So right when we approve a budget, Four months shortly thereafter, we're already planning the budget for next year. So as we've gone through 2020 and we have dealt with COVID, we're trying to figure, we, we've been developing our budget for next year. So we're trying to figure out and plan for next year. Um, we did what I, again, what I'll call a status quo budget, which is we're going to trying to keep expenses about the same and we're trying to deliver about the same resources uh, and services to the residents of Elmer's, But- um, there just recently, so last night was Monday and we had a regular council meeting and we had a bunch of referrals from, um, primarily from the chairman. So in Elmhurst, we have 14 aldermen and, um, they break into every other week, they break into committees, uh, break into four different committees. Well, the four chairmen have been working kind of behind the scenes, I'll say, and, um, have been working with staff to try to figure out are there any structural changes that we can make in how the city does its business and provides services to the residents of Elmhurst? Um, and can we do that in a way that can be more efficient, can be cheaper? And uh, yesterday at um, city council, we had a regular meeting and on the consent agenda, there was, I want to say six referrals that are going to the individual committees and to figure out if there is a way that we can continue to operate and provide services at a high level, but can we do it maybe in a different fashion that um, does it for cheaper? So we'll see. Um, We've planned for 2021, um, but there are certain things that we are, each individual committee is going to be looking at to possibly change the way that we're doing things and um, maybe do it in a cheaper fashion. Okay, so i got to ask.
5: It's been battered around a bunch of times. The environment seems right. Their defenses are down. Oh, boy. Any chance there's a hostile takeover of Bensonville?
4: Anything's possible in this day and age. I appreciate the question. Um, we are friends with our neighbors to the north, and I um, I haven't really mustered the troops, if you will, but um, I guess I would say I would throw that to the city council and see if they're interested.
1: So I mentioned that you had been a guest back in May... Uh, with Alderman Mulliner to tell us about the Memorial Day convoy. And uh, I think that was a great success. People around town really enjoyed it. It was a good excuse after a couple of months of pretty hard lockdown for people to get out on the streets and watch that convoy go by, um, show respect for our veterans. So I hear that Coming up, I believe it's next week. It might be this. Is it next week or the following week? December 17th is a hometown holiday parade. Tell us about that and how it will be similar or different than uh, Memorial Day Convoy.
4: So, the Memorial Day Convoy, um, we've had a Memorial Day parade for over 100 years. And when we were faced with this pandemic, Um, There was more than a few people that approached me and said that we were going to do something. No matter what, um, we weren't going to let the tradition die. And uh, we had uh, some folks, and certainly Alderman Mulliner was a big part of it. But um, we figured out a way uh, to have this Memorial Day convoy. In essence, what we did is we brought the parade to the residents of Elmhurst. We created a route to go through Elmhurst, and our hope was that this route would cover all aspects in locations in Elmhurst. And if you really wanted to attend and view the convoy, that it would be no more than maybe a block, block and a half away from where you, where you might live. Um, and it was very successful. I'm very happy that we were able to do that to, um, honor, uh, Memorial day and all those reasons. Um, and the good news is that after we hammered out that route, Um, we figured out that this probably wouldn't be the last time that we were going to do it. So yes, uh, we're having a holiday parade it's on the 17th. And, um, as I said, at the city council meeting last night that uh, I've been in touch with, um, Mrs. Claus, um, Santa's too busy to answer the phone, but I've been in touch with Mrs. Claus and we're going to have a parade that follows. She's
1: a talker, isn't she?
4: I didn't have to do a lot of talking. She's a little hurt. Once, once she answered the phone, I didn't have to do a lot of talking, but, um, we uh, we are going to have a a similar venue, but a holiday parade, and uh, Santa will be joining us, and it's going to follow the same route.
1: Rumor has it she's a good cook,
4: too. That's what I've heard. I haven't experienced that.
1: Santa has, trust me. And You know, speaking of people who have eaten too much, the uh, men of the Elmhurst Armpit Orchestra, they have packed on a few pounds during this pandemic.
5: The COVID-19, if you will.
1: They, uh, more than 19, I think, <laughs> they, uh, they need their exercise. They're, uh, they're chomping at the bit to get out there and walk 1.2 miles from Wilson Avenue to uh, the tracks on Spring Road. So my question to you is, what are the chances of uh, St. Paddy's Day Parade or something <laughs> resembling a St. Paddy's Day Parade?
4: Well, I've been in contact with Jim O'Connor, who has been uh, running the parade for uh, many years. And I said, One
0: million years. <laughs>
4: I'm sure it feels like All that.
0: All praise, Jim O'Connor.
4: <laughs> I'm sure it feels like that for <laughs> Mr. O'Connor. Um, but uh, I've told him to plan for it, but don't expect it. Because uh, one thing I've learned as it relates to this pandemic is we really can't anticipate what's going to happen. Um, I certainly hope that uh, the vaccine will be prevalent at that point. Um, God knows I love the armpit orchestra. I think that they can march up and down the street all day long. Um, But it's going to be kind of a wait and see. Um, It really depends on the governor and what the state Illinois is and how we're doing battling this pandemic. I certainly hope we'll be in a position for the armpit orchestra.
1: I mean, it's a health issue. Have you seen these guys?
5: They need exercise.
4: Every year year I see those folks, I'm concerned about them.
5: Do you realize how hard it will be for that group to play with masks on? (laughs) They can't hardly play without
4: masks on. Not going to happen. It might be fatal. Not going
1: to happen. What will you miss most about being head cheese?
4: I assume you mean mayor? (laughs) I
1: guess,
5: Rich has a thing for head cheese.
4: It's a, it's a deli question. Um, I, I'll tell you what, it's very simple. It's a, it's a very simple answer. Um, while it has been uh, my pleasure to work for the residents of Elmhurst, um, the thing that I'm going to miss most is the people that I've worked with. So I've become very close with uh, the staff at City Hall. They're fantastic. And then um, the fellow elected officials. Uh, it's almost like a fraternity. Um, I have, I have uh, certain groups of friends in my life. I have my high school friends. I have my college friends, and now I have um, the council.
1: Otter and Lonnie
4: Jugdish. Yes. Um, what about
1: your Sydney. podcast friends, well, Clayton?
4: Uh, well, I don't. You know, I kind of look at it as closing a chapter it's in my a, life. It's a whole new group. I, I look at it as closing a chapter in my Mo- life, moving on, progressing. And I, and I don't think that I'm closing the chapter in my life as it relates to my podcast friends. That's going to be that's going to be the next level,
0: onward and upward. But uh, no,
4: I'm going to miss the I'm going to miss the people more than anything. I've uh, uh, I've been introduced and exposed to people that I normally wouldn't have. And um, they're some of the best friends I've made.
1: Parting message to your loyal subjects.
4: You guys are making this difficult the way you (laughs) phrase these questions. I wouldn't call them loyal subjects. I would say that um, the best thing you can do um, if you uh, love your town and the way we're operating is please get involved. We have. On any given day, we have 17 or 18 boards and commissions. There is over 100 individual spots uh, for volunteering, and uh, there's always an open spot. So please get involved, and uh, you won't regret it. Uh, what you put into it is uh, you get even more out of it. It's, uh, it's a wonderful town, and um, I'm just, uh, like I said, uh, happy, humble, and proud to be the mayor for the short time that I've been.
1: In all seriousness, thank you for your service to the city. I uh, I know that big paycheck uh, really didn't uh, compensate you for all your hours or the dollars it took to, to run, so uh, thank you.
4: Well, thank you, gentlemen, all of you, for the opportunity to join your podcast. I know it won't be the last. And I appreciate what you folks do um, for Elmhurst in uh, communicating and uh, getting the word out.
0: Oh, go on.
1: thank you your honor appreciate it Steve thank you
2: the E-Town Lowdown brought to you by the wonderful folks at the Elmhurst Armpit Orchestra featuring the biggest bass drum in the world at 9 feet in diameter yes you heard that right 9 feet in diameter
1: this has been a special presentation of the E-Town Lowdown